Hey everybody, welcome back to my podcast, Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit. This is your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan. I am recording this from my office at Bucks County Community College in Newtown, Pennsylvania, about 20 miles north of Philly. Uh, Mainly because I've got a really busy week um, with a lot of work to do this week, and I want to make sure that this doesn't get out late. So rather than waiting until I'm home and in my little recording studio in my house, I want to do this real quick, and uh, hopefully the change in quality won't, uh, won't affect you too much. I did record the actual informational pieces of this earlier at my house, so you will notice that the quality changes as I introduce those informational pieces. Hopefully that'll not be too distracting. I want to send out a quick little shout out to some people who have been really supportive uh, throughout the course of this podcast. It looks like people are really enjoying listening to it and a lot of anatomy and physiology students who are getting a lot of information and and, um, being able to get some help with the material for this course. Uh, Specifically, Lewis in Olympia, Washington, thank you so much for emailing me with with nice compliments. I really appreciate that. Um, Most of you who have been reaching out have been using my email address, minus55media at gmail.com, which is fantastic. Um, but I would love it if you could write a review, subscribe, share this podcast with your colleagues and friends, um, with your instructors if you're taking this course, so that you can make sure that as many students get to listen to it as possible, or anyone who's interested, student or not. Um, that's That would be really helpful to uh, get that out there. This podcast will always be free, um, but I would love to get it into as many ears as I possibly can. We're talking about the integumentary system today. Uh, That's the topic we're going to be introducing. The integumentary system, some people just refer to it as the skin, but the skin is really just one part of the integumentary system. The skin is the largest, heaviest organ in your body, and it functions in protection. Uh, It is our first line of defense against the outside world. Infections and moisture loss and sunlight like ultraviolet rays, um, all things that could possibly be harmful if they were inside your body, our skin acts as a first line of defense against those. It's also important in thermoregulation, meaning it helps to cool our body, keep our body temperature where it should be in a range to help maintain homeostasis. Uh, It does that using sweat glands. Uh, So we've got sweat glands, in our integumentary system, helping with thermoregulation. We have mammary glands for milk production. We have oil glands or sebaceous glands to help um, retain moisture. We have ceruminous glands in our ears to help protect our ear canals. Uh, We have hair follicles and hair and nails and all kinds of interesting structures associated with the skin to help with its functions. Skin even uh, secretes hormones. So uh, there's so many things that the skin does, activating vitamin D from ultraviolet light. Um, There's there's a lot of really cool, interesting things that the integumentary system does. So it's it's a pretty overlooked system in an anatomy and physiology course. Uh, But what we're going to do is, like I said, I recorded the, the informational pieces of this podcast earlier in my studio and I want to introduce those to you and tell you what we'll be covering. So first we're going to talk about the cells 
of the epidermis. So when you consider the skin, the skin is only two layers. It is the epidermis, which is what you can see and touch from the outside, and the dermis, which is the deeper layer, which is the tougher, tougher leathery layer of our skin. Beneath that, or deep to that, is the hypodermis, which is not technically a layer of skin. It's part of the integumentary system, but not the skin. It's mostly adipose tissue, and it's a, it's a layer between the skin and the underlying tissues, like muscle. Uh, it's also called the subcutaneous layer because the skin is also known as the cutaneous membrane. You may have heard of the terms cutaneous sensations. Uh, that is referring to the sensation of your skin. You may have heard the term hypodermic needle. That's a needle that is injected into the hypodermis, which is, again, that subcutaneous layer beneath the dermis. So all of those terms are appropriate for the integumentary system. Uh, so we're going to start off with the cells of the epidermis, and then we'll talk about the layers of the epidermis, because even though the epidermis is a layer, it's also divided into several layers. Then we'll discuss the dermis, the leathery part deep to the epidermis, and the glands that are associated with it. And then we'll talk about how injuries of the superficial integumentary system heal. So superficial wound healing will be the last topic we discuss in this episode. All right, so I hope that all works for you. Good luck, and let's get at it. The epidermis consists mostly of stratified squamous epithelial tissue with several sheets of squamous cells arranged into five distinct layers. Since the epidermis is epithelial tissue, it doesn't have its own blood supply, so it relies on diffusion from the underlying tissues for its nutrition. There are five different cells of the epidermis, and they are called keratinocytes, stem cells, dendritic cells, melanocytes, and tactile cells. The vast majority of epidermal cells are keratinocytes. Keratinocytes are found in each layer of the epidermis, and they're derived from the stem cells in the deepest layer. When you look at your skin, you're looking at keratinocytes. They produce a protein called keratin, and the cells are packed together with that keratin on the epidermal surface. So the main tissue of the epidermis is actually called keratinized stratified squamous epithelium. Dendritic cells are produced in the bone marrow, and they travel to the areas of the body that are susceptible to toxins and pathogens, like the epidermis, the oral cavity, the esophagus, and the female reproductive tract. If any of these invaders makes it through the surface, the dendritic cells stimulate an immune response for our protection. Melanocytes are also protective because they produce the dark pigment melanin, that's what gives our skin a brownish-black color. That melanin gets absorbed into the keratinocytes and collects on the superficial surface of the cell's nucleus. This blocks ultraviolet light as if the nucleus was standing in the shade on a sunny day. Since ultraviolet light can cause mutations in the DNA of the nucleus, melanin protects us from skin cancer. Stem cells are undifferentiated cells that divide and develop into new keratinocytes. As these new cells are formed, 
they push the existing cells closer to the surface. Keratinocytes get to exist in each of the epidermal layers on their journey to the surface, where the oldest cells are flaked off or exfoliated and replaced by the cells behind them. Finally, tactile cells are associated with nerve fibers in the dermis so they can function as touch receptors for the nervous system. Our skin is what we use to contact most of the universe we come in touch with, so it makes sense that we'd have sensory receptors in our skin. The combination of the tactile cell and the corresponding nerve fiber is called the tactile disc. The word stratum is Latin for layer. The cells of the epidermis are arranged into five distinct strata, or layers, each with their own unique structure and function. Starting with the most superficial layer, the one you can see when you look at your skin, the stratum corneum is over two dozen sheets of dead cells and cell fragments packed together with the keratin they once secreted. It forms a protective layer resistant to mild trauma and water loss. The superficial cells of the stratum corneum are routinely shed from the surface of the skin and replaced by deeper cells. This process is called exfoliation, and the tiny cells and cell fragments that flake off are called dander. Dander accounts for most of the dust we encounter in our homes. The next layer down is the stratum lucidum, but it's only present in what is called thick skin. Thick skin is found in the palmar surfaces of the hands and fingers and the plantar surfaces of the feet and toes. Thick skin is hairless and it lacks the glands that produce our skin's oil, which is called sebum. The thickness of thick skin is mostly due to a very thick stratum corneum, however, when compared to the thin skin covering the rest of our body, not the presence or absence of a stratum lucidum. We use our hands and feet to contact most of the world, so it makes sense that we'd have a little extra protection on those surfaces. The stratum granulosum is a few layers of flattened squamous cells that are responsible for producing the structure that gives the epidermis its waterproof property. The process is as follows. Inside these cells are granules that contain a protein called keratohyalin. These granules release a different protein called filigrin into the cytosol. Filigrin binds to the keratin fibers that contribute to the cell's cytoskeleton. A layer of proteins then forms inside the plasma membrane surrounding the cytoplasm in an envelope of sorts, protecting the bundles of keratin fibers from any outside forces. Vesicles then release a lipid-rich secretion that creates a waterproof barrier around the cell's surface. That barrier makes it impossible for nutrients to diffuse from the deeper tissues to the keratinocytes of the stratum granulosum. Without that nutrition, the organelles break down and the cells start to die, leaving behind the waterproof envelope of keratin bundles. Those bundles and the dead keratinocytes bound to one another form the epidermal water barrier that prevents fluid loss from the skin. The stratum spinosum is the thickest epidermal layer of thin skin. The closer you get to the epidermal surface, the flatter the cells get of the stratum spinosum. This is because as they migrate toward the surface, they are dying and they're becoming dehydrated, and any mitosis that may have been taking place has ceased.
In addition to keratinocytes, there are dendritic cells in the stratum spinosum as well, protecting us from pathogens and toxins. The deepest layer of the epidermis is the stratum basale, which means base layer. The stratum basale is not squamous epithelium. It is a single layer of cells whose shape is more cuboidal to columnar in appearance. This layer also includes keratinocytes, melanocytes, tactile cells, and stem cells. The stem cells undergo mitosis and cell division, producing new keratinocytes. Deep to the epidermis is the dermis, which is where you'll find the blood vessels, the nerves, hair follicles, and glands of the skin. The dermis is comprised of dense, irregular connective tissue and can therefore resist tensile forces in all directions. The dermis consists of two regions, the deeper reticular layer and the superficial papillary layer. The papillary layer is named so because of the wave-like protrusions toward the epidermis called dermal papillae. Between the papillae are valleys that cause ridges on the surface of the epidermis called epidermal ridges. Those ridges not only help keep the epidermis attached to the dermis, they also provide a little traction so objects don't slip out of our hands when we hold them. When we touch a surface, like a tabletop or a handle, a thin layer of sweat you can barely see is left on that surface in the pattern of the epidermal ridges. We call that a fingerprint, and we each have our own unique patterns. The reticular layer of the dermis is loaded with blood vessels, nerve endings, hair follicles, glands, and the roots of our fingernails and toenails. The glands of the dermis are sudoriferous glands, sebaceous glands, mammary glands, and ceruminous glands. Sudoriferous glands are also known as sweat glands, as they produce sweat. There are two different kinds of sweat glands, eccrine sweat glands that function in temperature regulation and are found throughout the body, and apocrine sweat glands, which are not active until puberty. The sweat from apocrine sweat glands is milky, has a scent, and is released into a hair follicle rather than on the surface of the skin. The apocrine glands are only found in the axillary, pubic, anal, and areolar regions, as well as in the beard area of postpubescent males. It's likely that these glands function to signal sexual maturity, as we see in some of our mammalian relatives. Sebaceous glands secrete a substance called sebum. Sebum is an oily secretion released onto the surface of the skin and into hair follicles. Sebum keeps the skin and hair from drying out, making it easily broken or cracked. Sebaceous glands are not found in the palmar surfaces of our hands and fingers or the plantar surfaces of the feet and toes. We don't want those surfaces to be slippery with oil. Ceruminous glands are only found in the ear canals. They don't directly secrete earwax per se. They secrete a waxy substance that mixes with sebum and dead exfoliated epidermal cells from the skin of the external ear canal. This combination is called cerumen, more commonly known as earwax. Cerumen functions to waterproof the ear canal, and it has antibacterial properties to resist infections. In addition, its oily and waxy quality helps keep the eardrum pliable so it vibrates well, and it coats the hairs of the ear canal 
so they're better at blocking foreign objects from entering. Finally, mammary glands, which are discussed in more detail in the reproductive units, are modified apocrine sweat glands found in the breasts that produce milk so we can nourish a newborn. Have you ever noticed that you can cut yourself, bleed quite a bit, and yet in a few weeks there's no evidence of it ever happening? That's because our skin is really good at repairing itself. Let's take a look at superficial wound healing in the human body. Superficial injuries of the skin could be lacerations or abrasions, otherwise known as cuts or scrapes, or minor burns. Unless the injury extends deep into the dermis, the tissue typically recovers fully without any scar tissue or loss of function. Let's consider how a superficial wound of the skin heals. The first phase is the inflammatory phase. When a laceration occurs, blood vessels in the tissue are damaged and the blood leaks into the injury site. A chemical called histamine is released by the damaged cells and by the undamaged mast cells, which are found alongside blood vessels in fibrous connective tissue. Histamine is a vasodilator. That means the blood vessels expand, allowing more blood to flow to the area. It also causes the smallest blood vessels, called capillaries, to release more blood plasma. The blood plasma leaking into the injury site carries proteins that fight infection and cause the blood to coagulate, or clot. That plugs up the blood vessels to help stop the bleeding. Next, the blood clot formation continues to bridge the gap in the tissue caused by the injury. The region of the blood clot that is exposed on the surface of the skin dehydrates and hardens creating a barrier against bacteria, viruses, and other harmful agents outside the body so they can't get inside the body. That structure is called a scab. The deeper part of the clot prevents any harmful agents that made it inside the injury site from infecting any other healthy tissues. In addition, the damaged parts of the injured tissues are cleaned up by macrophages, which develop from white blood cells called monocytes. The proliferative phase includes vascularization, which means existing blood vessels grow new capillaries that extend into the injury site. Those new capillaries and fibroblasts from the surrounding connective tissues combine to form a soft mass called granulation tissue. Macrophages ingest and break down the coagulated blood of the clot while the fibroblasts secrete new collagen fibers to replace the damaged tissue of the injury site. This is called the fibroblastic phase. It begins about four days after the injury, and it can last up to two weeks. Finally, the remodeling phase is when the damaged tissue begins to look and function like the original tissue. In the epidermis, just deep to the scab, Stem cells of the stratum basale increase their normal rate of division and migrate to the center of the injury site from all sides. When they touch each other, a principle known as contact inhibition stops them from migrating and the new cells they produce start filling the injury gap. As the epidermal cells continue to be replaced, they loosen and release the scab until it is shed from the skin, with a normal stratum corneum there to take its place. If the wound is deep and the injury gap is broad, those collagen fibers in the damaged dermis may show through the epidermis. In fact, they may even replace the original epidermis. 
When this happens, it's called a connective tissue scar, and it won't have the look, feel, or function of the original epidermis. However, if the epidermal cells can form an epithelial bridge across the wound, a scar should be unnoticeable. Now, if the injury gets deeper than the dermis or it gets infected, that's a different ballgame. But for clean, superficial wounds, it's just that simple. Okay, that was a little bit longer than we typically go. We're a little over 20 minutes now, so I want to wrap it up. Uh, as you noticed, those were really four separate informational pieces about the integumentary system. So a little disjointed, but um, hopefully you were able to get a decent amount out of that. I want to start something a little bit new, and um, I want to invite you to email me questions that I will answer in future podcasts. So if you have questions about anything regarding anatomy and physiology, specifically the particular topics that we're covering, uh, I would love to try to answer your questions. So you can email me at minus55media at gmail.com. Uh, my email address is on the information page for the podcast. Uh, so please feel free to do that. I would love to start answering questions for you. And um, again, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you next time. Hey, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Student Help for AP. That's the word Student Help, the number four, AP. And I also have an Instagram account and a Twitter feed with the same name. So check those out too. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media. With a special thanks to Bucks County Community College for giving me a job doing what I love.